0: and you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash film hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily for wednesday july 1st 2020 on today's episode we're going to be talking about the latest film and tv news my name is ben pearson i'm the senior writer at slashfilm.com and i'm joined on today's episode by slash film weekend editor brad Oman. hey that's me and writer chris evangelista
1: Hello, folks.
0: All right, guys. So let's just dive right into the news today. Uh, Brad, tell us about a a pretty significant change for the long-running animated comedy The Simpsons.
2: Yeah, so uh, The Simpsons has recently faced some uh, controversy after a documentary came out chronicling the... um, impact that the stereotype of the character Apu from the show has created uh, regarding Indian people. And there was even a request that Hank Azaria should step down uh, from voicing the role as a white actor portraying an Indian character. Um, And they ended up making the change. Uh, Hank Azaria stepped away from the role and would no longer voice Apu. Uh, But now in recent weeks, there has been an effort by Uh, creators of animated programming to stop having white voice actors voice any characters of color whatsoever so that they can give these roles uh, to uh, actors of color and voice them, since it's important to have representation not just of the characters but of the people portraying them. So The Simpsons uh, made a broad sweeping um, statement to say that they will no longer have any white actors voice any characters of color on the show anymore. So that not only includes uh, the the change they've already made to have Hank Azaria not voice Apu, but it also includes uh, having not having Harry Shearer do the voice of uh, Doctor Hibbert, um, and he also uh, um, Hank Azaria also voiced the character of Carlton Carlson, who is one of Homer's friends uh, that he has sees at the bar and at work all the time, uh, so he won't be voicing that character anymore. Uh, Tress McNeil also voices Doctor Hibbert's wife Bernice and Apu's wife. Um, and Julia, and she, so neither of the, um, those characters will be voiced by the, uh anymore either, so they're going to, I don't know if they're going to, they didn't um, make any specific uh, statements about whether or not they would be finding actors to replace those characters quickly, or if it's something they'll address whenever those characters come up, because a lot of those characters are um, minor characters that appear every now and then, they're not necessarily in every episode of the series, but mm-hmm. I, I imagine that uh, when the time comes, they will find Uh, people to voice those characters as they're needed. So you mentioned that this was something that's happening,
0: you know, sort of in the animation space right now. Do you you know any other examples off the top of your head of like recent uh, uh, shows and stuff that have made um, similar proclamations or or specific characters or anything like that?
2: Uh, You mean like so broadly or? Uh,
0: Well, I I think um, Family Guy has one. And then maybe was it... um, I guess there was a there was a, I know there was a big conversation uh, surrounding um, BoJack Horseman recently, and that that conversation had sort of been happening for years. Um, you know, while the show was on, and and so I, I know this is like an ongoing conversation in the animated uh, in the animation community. Yeah, um, there
2: were so um, the actually one thing that happened just before the Simpsons made this decision was that Mike Henry, uh, who has voiced Cleveland Brown on Family Guy since the beginning of the show back in 1999. Uh He decided to step down from voicing the character um and that's a character that was given his own spin off series for a while um and so now they'll find somebody to replace him. That one seems like it's going to be somewhat of a a challenge because i obviously there are tons of talented voice actors out there, but Cleveland Brown's voice is such a unique one uh that it'll be interesting to see how how they handle it and if they find somebody that matches his uh, voice well enough to do that. But um, some other uh, cast members that stepped away, Jenny Slate uh, will no longer be voicing uh, Missy on Big Mouth. Kristen Bell's character on Central Park uh, will also now be voiced by uh, a different actor. Um, they were both voicing uh, mixed race characters. And so uh, they'll be replaced. Although um, series co creator Josh Gad said that Kristen Bell. Will get a different role on the series when she's replaced um, out there, but we don't know what's going on with Jenny Slate uh, for Big Mouth yet. Mm-hmm. So, what do you make of all this, Brad? Do you think that this? I mean, I'm sure there are going to be some people
0: who are listening to this who are like, uh, who would call themselves purists or something in terms of like these shows that they've been watching for years and years, and like the you know they they don't like the idea of their um, of their precious voice actors, you know, like things changing slightly. Um, but it sounds like. You think this is a long time coming, or has been a long time coming? Yeah,
2: I mean, it's it's something that really never should have happened to begin with. I mean, it's you know, it, it's one of those things where it feels like it's weird for this to change, but it's kind of this. It's one of the pieces of systemic racism that has been present in Hollywood. Like for some reason, we we think it's okay, you know, for white actors to voice characters of color just because they're not being seen as those characters in you know physical embodiment and live action. But, you know, it's 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 not much different, you know. Um, so at the, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is, you know, there are plenty of actors of color out there, um, you know, whether they're black, Hispanic, Asian, who deserve to have these roles rather than having you know, white actors pretend to be a different race. And I've seen some people, you know, online complaining, like, like, oh, yeah, I guess we shouldn't let actors act anymore. And it's like, that's not the same thing, man. <laughs> and it's like, and if you're saying that, then you're implying that whenever a white person voices a white character, that they're not acting. Uh, so, you know, people need to grow up and like, yeah, this this is a change that needs to happen. Like, it's, you know, uh, it'll be weird, because we're we might hear a voice change slightly because of it. But you know, representation matters both in the form of characters and in the form of the actors who play them. Well said. All right. So let's move on to our next
0: topic, which is the Sundance Film Festival. Um, Chris, recently Sundance made an announcement about what uh, the festival is planning for 2021. And with the pandemic and everything, what exactly is the Sundance Film Festival going to look like next year?
1: Uh, It's not going to look like it normally does. Um, You know, even though Sundance is still months away And some people would love to believe that, you know, everything's going to be A-OK in a few months. It really doesn't look like things are are improving anytime soon. So rather than, you know, wait to the last minute, Sundance is planning ahead. Uh, They're going to have an online component for the first time ever. And they're also going to have screenings uh, in cinemas across the country, not just in Utah, which, again, those are two things that just have never happened before. Uh, The details are still being worked out. There's not like a hundred percent certainty of if every movie is going to be available online or if only certain things are, but uh, that's, you know, that's the way things are going. And a lot of other film festivals are are doing things like this too. Like uh, TIFF recently announced Uh, They're making all 50 films they're going to have this year available online, which is a a big deal because, you know, no one's really done that before. So it's just, you know, just the way things are going at, at this particular time. I had
0: not heard that about TIFF and that that was actually going to be my question to you was, do you think that Sundance will make all of their movies available? Because I remember when South by Southwest got shut down, only like a very, very small selection of movies were made available online, uh, I think through Amazon or something. And there was like this big outcry from, you know, some of the filmmakers talking about how, you know, seeing movies online in that way just isn't the same as like the full fledged festival experience. And it might actually like financially hurt them to have those movies available. But if a a big festival like TIFF ahead of Sundance has made that uh, sort of proclamation and made that decision to make all of its, you know, its entire slate available online. uh, Do you think that Sundance is going to sort of fall into line there and, and use, you know, like like, uh, go into their jet stream? Or do you think that they're, That maybe like Sundance might hold, you know, several of like the biggest movies just for in-person screenings. Because you mentioned they are going to be having some in-person stuff as well too. So, what do you think it's going to look like exactly?
1: Yeah, it's it's tough to say because you know, like you mentioned the South by Southwest thing, there was such a pushback against putting it all online. But that was also at the beginning of of the pandemic, and everyone Mm -hmm. everyone had rose-colored glasses on, and they thought. Uh, they assumed that, you know, the United States government would actually be on top of this and fix things in time. <laughs> and of course, that didn't happen. And things have just gotten steadily worse since then. So I do think there it's definitely possible to have a shift in that mentality where once there was the thought of we just need to wait and, and hold fast until movie theaters open again. And now we're at this point where, you know, some people still think, you know, movie theaters will open soon, you know. Warner Brothers really wants to open tenant by August, but I it just it's it's uh, day by day. It it seems less and less likely that movie theaters are going to be back to normal anytime soon. So I would not be surprised if Sundance did put everything online. You know, TIFF. uh, It's I guess TIFF is different because it's it's outside the U.S., so they have that to consider. But yeah, I mean, you know, Sundance attracts people from all over the world too. So Mm -hmm. I I I you know I would not be surprised if they end up just accepting that they have to put everything online.
0: Brad, do you think that that's going to be sort of the new normal for film festivals until we get a vaccine or until this thing is like quote unquote over? Do you think that um, like, I guess there's no reason for anybody to uh, physically travel to Salt Lake city and and park city. If there is, if you can, you know, access this stuff online, like you, you wouldn't be planning a trip to go there just to get that sort of like uh, in-person festival feeling when the movies are available. Online. Uh, you know,
2: it, it's interesting because like my first question about this is whether or not having a festival where uh, all of the entries end up online will reduce the quality or number of movies that are premiering or be, uh, that are part of the festival. Because a lot of filmmakers want to see their movie on the big screen and want people to see it in the theater and may not be too keen on it being distributed, you know, through a festival online, even though it gets a lot more people the ability to see it. And especially with a a festival like Sundance, uh, really any festival, they have, you know, premieres of bigger movies there, not just indies that haven't been seen before. And so I wonder, you know, will those movies... Be only sent out to like uh press who are credited for the festival and there'll be reviews that drum drum up buzz or will those movies also be available for everyone to see at a certain time uh essentially given a vod release you know so i have i definitely have those mm-hmm. kinds of questions and like you know i I'm torn about whether or not I would still want to travel to somewhere like that because uh, I mean, personally for me, it works out because my girlfriend still has some family who lives over uh, near um, Park City, Utah. So it would ha- kind of be a convenient thing, I guess, to go and kind of kill two birds with one stone. But, um, and, I, but I, and I also want to see these movies in theaters as opposed to, you know, watching them uh, at home. You know, obviously I have, a, um, you know, a good entertainment system. You know, I've, I've got surround sound and I have, a, you know, a big flat screen TV, like a super cool dude. Uh, but, but I, you know, um, I, I still like that, you know, theatrical experience, especially at the, at, you know, film festivals, it's, um, film festivals feel different, you know, even than from seeing movies in regular theaters, just, there's, there's a different kind of buzz and something special about being among the first people to see it with no real pretense as to whether it's going to be good or not, you know, you just hope for the best. Um, so I, I I don't know, I, I'm interested to see how it plays out. Um, but like I said, the, the, the film library that will be available is my biggest question at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so let,
0: let's move on to our next topic, which is uh, The Mandalorian. So, um, the show is uh, coming back, supposed to be coming back uh, later on this year for a second season. But, uh, Brad, recently Lucasfilm just made an announcement about uh, what else fans have in store regarding The Mandalorian. Why don't you tell us about that?
2: Indeed. Uh, the first season has been over since December, uh, and beyond some merchandise here and there, especially of Baby Yoda. Uh, There hasn't really been much tied to The Mandalorian as there usually is with other Star Wars properties. Uh, And that especially includes books. But that is about to change uh, because Lucasfilm announced uh, uh, the first wave of books tied to the first season of The Mandalorian uh, will be on the way starting later this year. Um, And one of the first ones is a book that a lot of us have been waiting for because it will be uh, The Art of The Mandalorian for the first season. And the credits for every episode of The Mandalorian featured some incredible concept art that was used for the planning of the show. And I have been hoping for a while that they were going to collect that art into a book. And so they are doing that. Um, That will be arriving in December. But more intriguingly, uh, one of the books that is available is uh, an original novel that will be um, written by Adam Christopher. Unfortunately, we don't have any idea what the story uh, will be for this novel. And it's uh, originally we were thinking that it might be just an adult novelization of the series, but it does specifically list uh, at being an original novel on StarWars.com. Um, what makes it all the more interesting is that we've heard uh, from our own sources that John Favreau, uh, the executive producer of the series, hasn't been too keen on having other writers... Uh, craft stories that are tied to the Mandalorian because he doesn't want to have to worry about having these uh, problems clashing with canon for the show or adhering to something that they didn't necessarily have uh, a hand in you know, making it specifically so that it works with what they have planned for the show. Interesting. But, you know, so um, but there's a good chance, you know, obviously, this is only one original book, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to work with the writer and be like, okay, here's what you, you know, you can do, here's what we have, have available and make it work. But I, I feel like maybe it won't be something that happens as commonly as it does with books that are tied to the larger Star Wars universe.
0: Yeah, I wonder, do you think that there's a chance to have, um, I don't know, like in in world Mandalorian books and stuff like that, that just don't have any significant impact on the larger story? Like, um, you know, today we just wrote about the the release date for uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, which is an animated comedy coming up that is about like, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with the bridge crew. It's, it's all about like the characters that like aren't even important enough to show up in the background of a regular Star Trek show. They're like buried in, you know, a whole different level of the ship. Um, like that kind of thing. Do you think that there's uh, there's room for that kind of storyline, uh, storytelling in, I guess in a manner where it wouldn't impact anything that Favreau and his team are going to be doing.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a huge roster of characters who don't have anything important to do Uh, you know, in the Star Wars saga, and uh, considering the world of The Mandalorian and how many bounty hunters there are, it wouldn't be hard to have stories about other bounty hunters who don't have direct confrontations with The Mandalorian and only are tangentially, you know, tied to the story because they were maybe, you know, once in pursuit of uh, Baby Yoda or something like that, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did something like that, but I, I feel like having an abundance of stories with any of the main characters is probably unlikely at this point.
0: Yeah. Okay, so our next story is um, maybe one of the, the funniest uh, movie news stories that I've heard in a little while, and that is that Jason Momoa, of course, the star of Aquaman, is going to be lending his voice to Frosty the Snowman in a new movie, and this is not going to be an animated movie. This is going to be a live-action uh, CG hybrid Frosty the snowman film. So David Baronbaum is writing the screenplay. If you don't recognize his name don't worry, I didn't either. He wrote The Haunted Mansion starring Eddie Murphy. He also wrote this 2006 superhero movie that I completely forgot existed called Zoom which some of you may have seen uh, but he also has some experience writing holiday themed movies because he is the sole credited screenwriter of John Favreau's Elf. So uh, he is going to be writing the script for this Frosty the Snowman live action movie. For, like, I really cannot believe it is a real thing that's happening but Warner Brothers is making this is like a real thing. And Jason Momoa, of all people, is going to be, quote unquote, embodying a CGI version of Frosty. So I, I don't know if that means that he's actually going to be doing physical like motion capture work or just providing the voice. I really, 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 really hope that it's motion capture stuff because I honestly think that the behind the scenes footage of Jason Momoa wearing like a giant performance performance capture suit uh, on the set doing ridiculous Frosty and Snowman things would be uh, incredibly entertaining to watch. Um, John Berg and Greg Silverman and Jeff Johns, who all worked on sort of building Warner Brothers uh, uh, DC Extended Universe together, are sort of reuniting to produce this movie. And, uh, man, uh, guys, I, I gotta, I gotta go around the circle here and get your thoughts on a, a Jason Momoa, Frosty the Snowman movie. Chris, what do you
1: think? I am very, I'm very excited for this. I can't wait to see it's at the top. <laughs> it's at the top of my must-see list.
0: I can't tell if you're being serious, Chris. What do I you am really genuinely think
1: about <laughs> curious about the Jason Momoa, Frosty the Snow. I like I'm guessing he's going to have... A serious attitude problem and he's gonna maybe he'll like skateboard or something and I, I, I have to see that.
2: Brad, what do you think? Um I mean I wanna see it just because I know this is going to be one of the weirdest things ever and will probably be very bad based on the filmography of who is working on it. Um at the same You don't, you don't have any faith that the Elf guy can churn out a Frosty
0: the Snowman movie that's good?
2: Uh I mean <laughs> 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 I, I I don't know. They've already made a mistake by not calling this movie Jacked Frost. So, I mean, you know, I, I just, I, yep. I think when you're lacking that much creativity, the only way to go is down. <laughs> All right. Fair enough.
0: Uh, I guess speaking of going down, well, I don't know. Maybe this is a, a slight uh, uptick from what we've expected from the franchise that we're about to talk about, but a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie is coming. Brad, give us the details on that.
2: Yeah, I actually think this is great news uh, because the the recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies have left a lot to be desired. But uh, yesterday Nickelodeon made an announcement out of nowhere uh, that they're working on a brand new uh, fully computer animated theatrical movie for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that will be uh, created by Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, and James Weaver through their Point Grey uh, Productions banner. Uh It will be directed by Jeff Rowe, who works on Gravity Falls uh, and the upcoming movie Connected that's being produced by Lord and Miller. Uh, And it's written by Brendan O'Brien, who wrote Neighbors uh, for Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. So uh, for me, I think this is awesome because uh, there there has been one uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles computer animated movie before, and it was okay. Um, just because it, it kind of had the, you know, the dynamic between the characters, right? But I didn't necessarily like the story too much. Um, but in this case, I think that these characters are kind of perfect for Rogan and Goldberg. Uh, you know, um, Point Grey did a good job with their, um, you know, producing the boys for Amazon Prime. Uh, it's, you know, obviously it's not everybody's cup of tea because it's a bit of a, a, a darker kind of comic book adaptation. But with the Ninja Turtles, since they are these, you know, teenage dudes who, you know, like to eat pizza and, you know, bust each other's chops, but also fight crime. I can see Rogan and Goldberg's comedic sensibilities really working here, so I'm down to see what what they can do with a property like this, because Ninja Turtles is, you know, in need of a good uh, theatrical reboot. There's there's, there were some nice creative touches in the most recent uh, 2D animated series, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that just launched uh, a little while back. But I think a new, you know, big theatrical production from a major studio is uh, is probably better
0: so brad i don't know the specific details here but please correct me if i'm wrong if you happen to know them but didn't the ninja Turtles start out as a comic book that was kind of dark and maybe even like a parody of some of the stuff that was going on in comics at that time so like if that's the case uh i i can see what you're talking about here do you know if that's true
2: yeah it's the you know, tb ninja turtles was um a, a comic book first and it did have a uh, a thing where like it had darker sensibilities but it also kind of uh satirize them in a way and uh that's one of the things that actually you know kind of makes the original movie live action movie so good is that it has this you know surprisingly gritty element to it because it really feels grounded and somehow the idea of these four anthropomorphic teenage turtles fighting crime doesn't feel completely ridiculous just just because of how good the uh, you know the, the the puppeteering effects were and the um you know the practical prosthetic suits and the the voice acting and the martial arts action was was fantastic you know to this day that stuff holds up and that original movie uh, is great but it also has a little bit of you know silliness to the proceedings which was unfortunately increased a little too much in the sequels once they realized oh kids love this shit um, mm-hmm. so since this is coming from Nickelodeon there's always a the possibility that it probably won't veer too much, you know, into that darker area that made the original movie so good. But I think like, you know, like you said too, with, with Rogan and Goldberg on board, I feel like they can bring something different to it that we haven't really seen in the more recent uh, Ninja Turtles adaptations.
0: Chris, what's your relationship like with the uh, Ninja Turtles franchise? Did you grow up caring about that at all?
1: Uh, Yeah, I, I liked them. And I, I remember liking the original, uh, live action movie. I remember thinking it was such a big deal that Raphael said damn in it. It was a really big deal to young Chris <laughs> Evangelista that the Ninja Turtles were cursing. But beyond that, I don't really have any uh, I don't have any interest in them now.
0: Yeah, I, I sort of tapped out. Um I, I think I watched the first Michael Bay era uh Ninja Turtles movie and and just skipped uh what was it called? Out of the shadows or out of the shell or <laughs> whatever that sequel was. And then I skipped that CG animated one that you were talking about before Brad, the, I think it was the, the 2007 movie. Um, I just didn't really like the animation style. I think that has a lot to do with it for me personally, it's like whether or not I, I am on board with how these things look. And I think if you bring like a, I don't know, like a cool, like a spider verse look to something like this, I think that would be, um, that would go a long way in, in pulling people in who might otherwise, um, you know, be like kind of, uh, over this franchise after it's been around for so long. But um, yeah, we'll have to see what they end up doing there. Uh, okay, let's move on to our last story of the day. And that is uh, one of the most inexplicable uh, sequels that I can think of in, in recent memory. Chris, tell us what is uh, being developed.
1: Uh, there is a Daryl TV series uh, in the works with with Tony Hale, uh, Daryl being the 1985 movie about a boy who is also a robot. Uh, I never saw this movie. I actually have never even heard of it, but apparently it was a thing. And now they're making a TV show, a uh, sequel about it. And if you think that's a silly idea, it seems like the people making the show also think it's a silly idea. And that's part of the pitch for the show. Um, uh, I will read the little log line they have here. what if a top secret 10 year old human weapon grew up to be a 44 year old guy, just trying to keep up with a world he was never designed for. So in other words, uh, you know, Daryl was cutting edge tech in the eighties, but now he's an adult and he's pretty much obsolete, but you know, he's still around. So even though I haven't seen the movie, and I have no connection to it. I do admit that that's a very amusing uh, approach to this. It's literally taking like this, you know, we know this is a dumb idea and we're leaning into it. Idea approach. So I, I, I can appreciate that. What do you think about Tony
0: Hale, Chris, uh, as a performer? Do you think he's a decent fit for this?
1: Yeah, he's, he's very funny and he seems like uh, exactly the right person to play a former robot boy who is now an adult robot <laughs> man.
0: I remember, I think my mom showed me Daryl when I was probably, I don't know, eight years old or something. And I saw it one time and really just completely forgot all about it until this news came up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I saw that once. But I have no like lasting memories of the experience of watching it at all. Uh, and Brad, I think you had sort of a similar thing, right? You you watched this as a kid, but don't, don't really remember anything. About yeah, it.
2: I've definitely seen it. And I, I remember, you know, the, the cover art for the VHS and like what the title treatment looks like and everything. But I couldn't even begin to tell you what happens in that movie.
0: <laughs> uh, but you were talking in our Slack channel about how you thought that there's, like, some pretty good uh, potential for comedy here. What do you th- What do you think about that? You want to elaborate
2: on yeah, that? Yeah, you know, I mean, because it's—obviously, it's weird to make a sequel like this to a movie that a lot of people barely remember, you know? Um, it's one of those things where you immediately think, oh, cool, you know, Disney's just trying to cash on something that seems vaguely familiar. But in this case, I, it's—I feel like there's probably something interesting here because the, the premise itself— is a is a, a fun one you know you're taking a character and bringing them in um and focusing on them in a time when they feel obsolete and outcast and i think that there's just you know a good amount of potential there not just for comedy but for something that maybe even be you know heartfelt and and genuine uh, you know and tony hale you know as silly as the comedies are that he's been in, there's always been an element to them where there's, you know, authenticity and it's grounded and it's it, it never feels like it's uh, too outlandish. At least the stuff that he's done that has really, you know, resonated with audiences, especially on, on television. So, um, so yeah, I, I feel like there's there's at the very least potential here. And this sounds more interesting than just a simple cash grab to, a uh, you know, a Disney brand.
0: Chris, you said this is being developed by TNT and TBS. Is it? Do you know like which one it's it's going to ultimately end up on? Does it? Does the original story say anything about that?
1: I closed the story, so let me reopen <laughs> it, it. No, no, it does. No, say, it's fine. I just TBS I, is the
0: answer. Okay, so Chris, let me ask you: Have you ever watched a TBS original show before? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, I thought that might be the answer, um, Brad. I think TBS like. For I don't I actually, this may be like even dating myself, but I don't even know if this is still true or not. But I think for a long time, deep TBS was really trying to brand themselves as like a comedy friendly network. I don't I have no idea if that's still uh, the case, but um, have you, as the, the resident comedy guru of Slash Elm, have you ever
2: watched a TBS original show? Um... That is a good question. I I would have to go and like double check to make sure that I would know which ones were TVS because I, I there are some that obviously I remember, um, but I don't think that there's any that I'm currently watching. I know that I was interested in Miracle Workers, the anthology series that stars Daniel Radcliffe, but I, oh yeah, yeah yeah. But I haven't. Uh, I actually haven't taken the time to sit down and watch it yet. So beyond that, um, I don't think that there's anything else that I've paid attention to on there i've heard search party is good that that's over on hbo max now i heard the detour was really funny um but yeah beyond that no i, I haven't checked out anything except for their you know uh late night offerings when conan was uh or conan is yeah. there mm-hmm. and uh Some at the b show as well so okay all
0: right well i'm i'm glad that you mentioned uh search party and um and what was the one with Daniel Radcliffe? I've already forgotten the name because I, I wanted to watch that as well. Mira- but, uh, miracle workers, miracle workers. Okay, yeah. So just the, the the very fact that those exist and you know are getting good buzz, even though it's definitely like niche audiences watching those shows, gives me a little bit more hope for Daryl. I was I was really worried that this might be like the only show that that TBS ultimately has that people might potentially care about the the only original that is um and that it might be just completely lost and i guess that's still possible but at least there's like some precedent for people tuning into that network to watch uh original comedies like this also
2: i just realized that it might i might have made it sound like i was referring to daryl as a disney movie but it was merely just an association of that disney likes to do those kinds of things
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's, like, <laughs> that's been their entire past two decades of their entire business model, basically. So, uh, okay. All right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Deal. You can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com. I encourage you all to go there and check out a bunch of the stories that we have up. Um, we reviewed Hamilton recently. We have interviews with people who are involved with that. So, uh, check that out. If you're looking for some Hamilton content, that movie drops on Disney plus this Friday, uh, Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday. Actually, it used to be published every weekday. Now, I think we're only down to three days a week, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on all of the popular podcast apps. Send us your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns at peter at slashfilm.com. And you can leave your name and general geographic location. And we might mention your email on the air if we ever do another mailbag episode again. Uh, Don't forget also to rate or review the podcast on iTunes. Take a couple seconds and do that for us. It helps us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word about the show. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you guys next time.